Lesson 4 for April 15 through to 21, Social Relationships. Sabbath afternoon, April 15. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these beautiful books of Peter that come to us with messages to people from so long ago, but which also speak to our hearts. We pray that as we open your word this week, it may speak to us, that your Holy Spirit will guide us, and that we may see Jesus in all his loveliness. We pray in his dear name. Amen. Our memory text this week is First Peter chapter 4 and verse 8. Above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Let's read that again. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 8. Above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Peter's letter also tackles head-on some of the difficult social questions of his time. For instance, how should Christians live with an oppressive and corrupt government, such as what most of them experienced then, the pagan Roman Empire? What did Peter tell his readers, and what do his words mean to us today? How should Christian slaves react when their masters treat them harshly and unjustly? Though modern employer-employee relationships are different from that of a first-century master-slave relationship, what Peter says will no doubt resonate with those who have to deal with unreasonable bosses. How fascinating that Peter points to Jesus and how he responded to bad treatment as the example of how Christians should conduct themselves when faced with the same. We read about that in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through to 24. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who... When he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. How should husbands and wives interact with each other, especially when they differ on a matter as fundamental as religious belief? Finally, how should Christians relate to the social order when, in fact, the social and or political order might be decidedly corrupt and contrary to Christian faith? Sunday, April 16, Church and State Though written long ago, the Bible nevertheless touches on issues very relevant today, such as the relationship between Christians and their government. In some cases, it's pretty obvious. Revelation 13 talks about a time when obeying the political powers would mean disobeying God. In such a case, our choice is clear, and we'll look at that in Thursday's lesson. Question. Read First Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through to 17. What is the word generally teaching us here about how to relate to the government? 
1 Peter 2, beginning at verse 13. Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honour all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honour the king. The evils of the Roman Empire were well known to those living within its borders. It had grown at the somewhat capricious will of ambitious men using ruthless military force. It met any resistance with violence. Systematic torture and death by crucifixion were just two of the horrors it inflicted upon those it punished. The Roman government was riddled by nepotism and corruption. The ruling elite exercised power with total arrogance and ruthlessness. Despite all this, Peter urges his readers to accept the authority of every human institution in the empire from emperor to governor in verses 13 and 14. Peter argues that emperors and governors punish those who do wrong and praise those who do right in verse 14. In doing this, they have an important role in shaping society. In fact, for all its faults, the Roman Empire provided stability. It brought freedom from war, it distributed a harsh justice, but a justice based nevertheless on the rule of law. It built roads and established a monetary system to support its military needs. In doing so, Rome created an environment in which the population was able to grow and in many cases prosper. Seen in this light, Peter's comments about government make good sense. No government is perfect, and certainly not the one that Peter and the church members to whom he wrote lived under. So, what we can learn from him is that Christians need to seek to be good citizens, obeying the law of the land as much as they possibly can, even if the government they live under is anything but perfect. And so to finish the day... Why is it important for Christians to be as good citizens as possible, even in less-than-ideal political situations? What can you do to make your society better, even in a small way? Monday, April 17, Masters and Slaves Question, read 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through to 23. How do we today understand the difficult content of these verses? What principle can we take from them for ourselves? 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable if, because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. But what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, 
who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. A careful reading of these verses in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 to 23, reveals that rather than an endorsement of slavery, the text gives spiritual counsel on how to think about difficult circumstances that at the time could not be changed. The word translated as servant or slave in 1 Peter 2.18, oiketes, that's O-I-K-E-T-E-S, is used specifically for domestic slaves. The more usual word for slave, doulos, D-O-U-L-O-S, is used in Ephesians 6.5, a passage that gives similar advice to slaves. Let's look at Ephesians 6 verse 5. Bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart, as to Christ. In the highly stratified Roman Empire, slaves were considered a legal possession under the absolute control of their master, who could treat them well or cruelly. Slaves came from a number of sources, defeated armies, children of slaves, or those sold to pay off their debts. Some slaves were given great responsibility. Some managed the large estates of their owners. Others managed their owners' property and business interests, and some even educated their master's children. A slave's freedom could be purchased, in which case the slave was described as redeemed. Paul uses this language to describe what Jesus has done for us in the following verses. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, according to the riches of his grace. Romans 3, 24. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Colossians 1, 14. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of of sins. It is important to remember that a number of early Christians were slaves. As such, they found themselves caught in a system that they could not change. Those unfortunate enough to have a harsh and unreasonable master were in particularly difficult situations. Even those with better masters could face trying circumstances. Peter's instructions to all Christians who were slaves, are consistent with other statements in the New Testament. They should submit and endure, just as Christ submitted and endured, in verses 18 to 20. There is no credit for those suffering punishment for having done wrong. No, the real spirit of Christ is revealed when they are suffering unjustly. Like Christ, at such times, Christians are not to return abuse, nor to threaten, but entrust themselves to God, who will judge justly, as it said in verse 23. So, to finish today, what practical applications can we make from what Peter wrote here? Does it mean, then, that we never stand up for our rights? Bring your answer to class on Sabbath. Tuesday, April 18, Wives and Husbands. Question. Read 1 Peter, chapter 3, verses 1 through to 7. What special circumstance is Peter addressing in this passage? How is what is said relevant to marriage 
in today's society. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives, when they observe your chaste conduct, accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arraigning the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honour to the wife, as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. There is one significant clue in the text that enables the careful reader to work out the issue that Peter deals with in 1 Peter 3, 1-7. In 1 Peter 3, verse 1, Peter says he is talking about husbands who obey not the word. In other words, Peter is talking about what should happen when a wife who is a Christian is married to a husband who is not, even if the number who don't believe are few. A Christian wife would find many difficulties being married to a husband who does not share her faith. What should happen in these circumstances? Should she separate from her husband? Peter, like Paul elsewhere, does not suggest that Christian wives leave their non-believing husbands. Paul's answer is in 1 Corinthians 7 verses 12 to 16. But to the rest I, not the Lord, say, If any brother has a wife who does not believe, and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases. But God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? Instead, Peter says, wives with a husband who is not a believer must live exemplary lives. The roles available to women in the first century Roman Empire were determined largely by the individual society. Roman wives, for example, had more rights under the law regarding property and legal redress than would most of the women to whom Peter is writing. But in some first-century societies, women were excluded from involvement in politics, government and leadership in most religions. Peter urges Christian women to take on a set of standards that would be admirable in the context in which they found themselves. He urges them to purity and reverence in 1 Peter 3.2. He suggests that a Christian woman should be more interested in her inward beauty than in the adornment of fashionable hairstyles, jewellery and expensive clothing in verses 3-5. to A Christian woman will conduct herself in a manner that will recommend Christianity to the one who lives with her in a most intimate manner, her husband. Peter's words should not be taken by husbands as a license to mistreat their wives in any way. As he points out, husbands should show consideration to their wives in verse 7. 
While Peter is addressing a specific issue, Christian wives married to non-believers, we can see a little of the, uh, the ideal of Christian marriage. Christian partners should live in mutual support, living with transparent integrity as they worship God through their everyday activities. Wednesday, April 19, Social Relationships Question. Read Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 7, Ephesians 5, 22 to 33, 1 Corinthians 7, 12 to 16, and Galatians 3, verses 27 and 28. How does what Paul says compare to what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11, right through to chapter 3 and verse 7? First of all, Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through to 7. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honour to whom honour. And Ephesians chapter 5 verses 22 through to 33. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the saviour of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, as of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 12 through to 16. But to the rest I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe, and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. 
Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. But if the believer departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases. But God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? And Galatians 3, verses 27 to 29. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And we've read in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, through to Chapter 3, verse 7, this, Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul, having your conduct honourable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, or to governors, or to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honour all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honour the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only in the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable, if because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honour to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Paul addresses some of the issues raised in 1 Peter chapter 2 and 3 in several places. What he says is remarkably consistent with what is found in 1 Peter. For example, like Peter, Paul urges his readers to be subject to the governing authorities. 
Rulers are appointed by God and are a terror to evil works, not good, he says in Romans 13.3. Thus a Christian should then render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, custom to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honour to whom honour, in verse verse, um, 7 of chapter 13. Paul also emphasises that women who are married to non-believing husbands should live exemplary lives, and as a result their husbands may join the church, in 1 Corinthians 7. Paul's model of the Christian marriage is also one of mutuality. Husbands should love their wives as Christ has loved the church. Furthermore, he suggests that slaves should obey their earthly masters as they would obey Christ, in Ephesians 6.5. Paul then was willing to work within legally mandated cultural boundaries. He understood what could be changed about his culture and what could not. Yet he also saw something within Christianity that would end up transforming the way society thinks about people. Just as Jesus didn't seek to bring about any kind of political revolution in order to change the social order, neither did Peter or Paul. Change could come, instead, by the leavening influence of godly people in their society. And so, to finish today, read Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 to 29. Though clearly it is a theological statement, what powerful societal implications might this text have regarding how Christians are to relate to one another because of what Jesus has done for them. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Thursday, April 20, Christianity and the Social Order Despite knowing that human organisations and governments are flawed and sometimes sinful, and despite their bad experiences with governments and religious leaders, both Paul and Peter urged early Christians to submit to human authorities in 1 Peter chapter 2 and in Romans chapter 13. Christians, they say, should pay taxes and contribute to compulsory labour obligations. As far as possible, Christians were to be model citizens. Question. Read Acts chapter 5, verses 27 to 32. What is the relationship between the obedience that Peter says to render to the authorities in 1 Peter chapter 2, 13 to 17, and what Peter and the other apostles actually did in this one incident? Acts chapter 5, verses 27 to 32. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and saviour, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. 
And we are his witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. The early successes of the Christian church led to the arrest of Peter and John in Acts chapter 4. We can read about that in verses 1 to 4. Now, as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about five thousand. They had been questioned by the rulers, elders, and scribes, and then let go with a stern warning that they should desist from preaching. Soon afterward, they were arrested again and asked why they had not followed what the authorities told them to do. We read about that in Acts chapter 8.25, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. Peter replied, We ought to obey God rather than men, in the following verse. What crucial truth must we take from these words? Peter was not being a hypocrite, saying one thing and doing another. When it became an issue of following God or following human beings, the choice was clear. Until then, Christians should be supportive and obedient to government, even if they also worked to try to bring about positions of social change. When moral issues are at stake, Christians have been and still should be involved in legally promoting the kind of social change that reflects the values and teaching of Jesus. How this should be done depends upon many factors, but being a loyal and faithful citizen doesn't automatically mean that a Christian can't or shouldn't seek to help improve society. So to finish today, read Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18 and Matthew 22.39. How might the command to love our neighbour as ourselves include the need to work for change when that change could indeed make life better and fairer for your neighbour. Leviticus 19 verse 18, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your Lord, but you shall love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. And Matthew 22 39, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. Friday, April 21. Ellen G. White advocated that Seventh-day Adventists be good citizens and obey the law of the land. She even told people not to openly and flagrantly disobey local Sunday laws. That is, though they must keep the Seventh-day Sabbath holy, as God has commanded, they don't need to deliberately violate laws that forbid Sunday labour. In one case in particular, however, she was clear that Adventists should not obey the law. If a slave had escaped his or her master, the law required that the slave be returned to that master. She railed against the law and told Adventists not to obey, despite the consequences. We read about this in Testimonies for the Church, Volume 1, pages 201 and 202. 
When the laws of men conflict with the word and law of God, you are to obey the latter, whatever the consequences may be. The law of our land requiring us to deliver a slave to his master, we are not to obey, and we must abide the consequences of violating this law. The slave is not the property of any man. God is his rightful master, and man has no right to take God's workmanship into his hands and claim him as his own. And that brings us to our five discussion questions for this week. One, in class, discuss your answer to the question at the end of Monday's study about this issue. Should Christians never stand up for their rights? As you do, consider this one question as well. Just what are your rights? Two, what are examples in which the impact of Christians on society has been a powerful force in changing that society for good? What lessons can we take from these accounts? 3. What are examples in which Christians, instead of helping change the ills of society, acquiesce to those ills and even help justify them? What lessons can we take from those stories as well? Question 4. 1 Peter 2.17 says, Honour the Emperor. The emperor at that time was probably Nero, one of the most vile and corrupt of what already had been a corrupt and vile line of men. What message does this have for us today? How might what Peter wrote at the beginning of that text, Honour all people, help us to better understand what he was saying? And question 5. Read 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 to 25 in class. How is the gospel message encapsulated in these verses? What hope do they offer us? What do they call us to do? How well do we follow what we have been told here? I think we'll read those verses right now. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found at his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return, when he suffered he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Inside Story our mission story this week is titled A Changed Life, Part 1. Montserrat, a team from Nigeria, was curious about her neighbour. He didn't go to the mosque on Friday, and he seemed so happy. She wondered what made him so different. She greeted him when she saw him on the street and watched as he worked around his home. Finally, she found the courage to ask him the question that had burned in her heart. What religion do you follow? I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, he replied. Montserrat had never heard of Adventists. He offered her a book, Steps to Christ, and Montserrat accepted it. When she was alone, she took out the book and began reading it. Although her parents couldn't read, Montserrat knew that they would be angry if they knew she had a Christian book, so she kept it hidden. Montserrat studied in a boarding school and enjoyed it so very much. Soon, she forgot about the neighbour with the strange religion.
start. When Montserrat returned home for a long vacation, she remembered her neighbour and greeted him. One day he invited her to visit his church. I can't go, Montserrat said. Genuinely sorry. I have special classes on Saturday to prepare for my high school exams. She saw the disappointment in her neighbour's eyes. Wait, she said. I want to see what your church is like. Where is it? The man told her where the church was located. That Saturday, Montserrat prepared for her class, but went to the neighbour's church instead. She was curious to see if the other people in the church were as kind as he was. The church members welcomed her warmly. She enjoyed the service, even though it was very different from the religious services she was used to. Every week, Montserrat dressed for class but went to church instead. Because church ended about the same time as her class, her parents never knew. Montserrat received a Bible and began reading it. She learned to pray as Christians prayed and asked God to help her live a good life. She had been somewhat mischievous, but she was determined that her teachers and dean would see a different person when she returned to school. Back at school, Montserrat discovered an Adventist church an hour away by bus. She got up early on Saturday morning to catch the bus. She spent most of the day with the church members and returned to school in the evening. Before the year ended, Montserrat gave her life to Christ and asked to be baptised into the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And this story is to be continued in next week's Inside Story. This lesson was read by Dr. Percy Harrell. It was recorded in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind. This podcast is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and through the services of Hope Channel.